This is Performance Time, the show about human beings and performance engineering. I'm Stephen Townsend. Hello again. This is the second part of a two-part series where I cover communication skills and how important they are to performance engineering. If you haven't already checked it out, I highly recommend episode 7 in which I talk about written communication. Uh, Today we'll be focusing on verbal communication. Now there's two lenses I want to cover today. First of all, formal presentations. And then I want to talk about meetings and all their incarnations. Now there's probably a third aspect to this, which is day-to-day conversation, small talk, which is also incredibly important. But it's not something I consider myself particularly knowledgeable in, uh, and I won't be covering it today. Now, before I became a performance engineer, I used to do a different kind of performance. I trained as a professional actor for three years at Toy Fakari, which is the New Zealand drama school in Wellington. I think the experiences that I had at drama school have helped me in terms of getting up in front of people and talking. I guess that's given me a bit of an unfair advantage when it comes to particularly formal presentations. So let's start there. Let's talk about formal presentations. So this could be either at work, where you need to present some findings to a group of people. It could be a conference or an event or a meetup. Something where you need to prepare something and speak and present that to a group of people. And at the moment, a video conference call can absolutely be a formal presentation. If you're comfortable doing formal presentations, it's a great way to elevate your presence in an organization. And that's good for you and your personal career journey. And it's good for performance because it means you can get more people hearing about good ideas related to performance engineering. Now, I get it. Doing formal presentations, it can be pretty freaking scary. And hey, I've done a lot of presentations, and before every single one, I still get very nervous. I'm less nervous than I used to be because I've done it so many times. But honestly, I get a little bit nervous just sitting here by myself in a room recording this podcast. That's just human nature. The trick is to be nervous, but do it anyway. Just like anything else, like learning a load testing tool, the more you do it, the more experienced you get at it, the more confident and comfortable you are presenting. I haven't always been good at presenting. Just ask the attendees of Whopper 25, which was my first major event back in 2017, where I tried to cram three talks into one because I didn't know what I was doing. But hey, I learned heaps from that experience and I kept presenting. I didn't give up. And I'm really enjoying it now, even though I still get nervous. Doing presentations around performance engineering has literally changed my life. It's given me opportunities to travel to Scotland, France, Greece, and Australia for conferences. I've got to meet world-renowned performance experts. It's helped me become a part of the performance engineering community worldwide, where I've learned new ideas which have helped me to become a better performance engineer and become something more than just myself or the organization I work for. I'm part of that community now, which is an awesome community to be in. 
My first advice for giving verbal presentations is that the heavy lifting is in the preparation. If you've structured your talk well, you've got great points, then you can't fail. There's plenty of resources online about how to structure a talk, such as, you know, at a basic level, have an introduction, making three points, bringing it together with some kind of summary. That's like an oversimplified example structure. But it's a good starting point. Think about the audience that you'll be presenting to as well. If the audience are mostly non-technical or technical but don't know performance engineering, you have to adjust the way you speak and the content to match their view of the world. Now that preparation, it takes a lot of time. Don't leave your preparation to the last minute. When I think about the last couple of Neotis pack events that I've, I've spoken at, I'd say I probably did around 15 to 20 hours of preparation for those 30-minute talks. Now, everyone's different. When you're starting out, you might need to do a lot more preparation than that. If you're very experienced, you might do a lot less than that. The idea is the more preparation you've done, the easier the actual presentation will be. And you'll probably enjoy it more as well. In saying that, there's been one situation where I over-prepared a talk. I knew it so well that when I got up to do it, I was just going on autopilot. I wasn't enjoying the words that I was saying. But if you're new to doing formal presentation, I wouldn't worry about that at all. Now, something I've been told, and I think it's probably true, is that the shorter the presentation, the more precise you need to be and the more preparation you need to do for each minute of the talk. So for a five or ten minute talk, I might prepare almost word for word what I'm going to say. For a 30 minute presentation, I'll probably just work around some key ideas and make sure I hit some key points, but otherwise just be conversational. If you're having trouble preparing your talk and you're trying to write it first, something I've found is really useful is I just start talking. I talk as if I'm on stage and just improvise and I see what comes out of my mouth and often that's the thing which breaks through that mind block and then I'm able to take what I've said and write it down afterwards. Especially when you're new to doing presentations, practice relentlessly because when you get up on that stage or connect to the call and be, get made the host, you're bound to go into fight or flight mode. For me it's like my vision loses focus and I don't know what I'm doing, I can't think straight, uh, nothing comes easy to me. That's what it's like in fight or flight. But if I practice enough, I can just fall back on the fact that my body remembers and knows how to do the talk because I've practiced it so many times. It's become second nature. When you are doing your presentation, don't read from your notes. So many people still do that you immediately lose your audience and your looks and sound disengaged. People want to see a human being. It needs to be conversational. For really important talks, I'll use cue cards to prompt me and remind me of what I'm talking about at each stage. You don't need a lot of words, just enough to remind you of each point you need to make. If you have a PowerPoint presentation for the love of Loadrunner, do not fill your slides with words. My goal when I create a slide pack is for every slide to have no words at all, just images or diagrams. The slides are just there to support what you're saying. 
if your slides have a lot of words, people are going to read that and not listen to you. So in summary for formal presentation, do the preparation, get the right content and the right structure. Practice it relentlessly and don't put too much text on your slides. Now, most of us don't do formal presentations every day, but we do have a lot of meetings. Sometimes in a meeting, you are more of a bystander. Other times you need to be driving something, asking questions or answering questions. And some meetings are more important than others. Now, there's one kind of meeting which I have consistently found to be extremely stressful for me personally. And that is when I was a consultant, I needed to go to pre-sales meetings. So I would go along to a new potential customer with a salesperson and I would be there to ask the technical questions, find out what I needed to find out and help win that particular bit of work. I don't really know what it is about pre-sale meetings, which was so daunting to me. I think I always find meeting new people quite difficult. That's one thing. But also there is work. There is money on the line. And I also am representing the company in a very sensitive situation. I don't want to look like an idiot and I don't want the company to look bad either. So all those things combined tend to make it very difficult. I'm going to talk about pre-sale meetings today because I think the lessons around those kinds of meetings are applicable to pretty much any kind of meeting. The first thing I've learned along the way is the same as formal presentations. Preparation is really important. So in the case of a pre-sales meeting where I'm meeting a new customer, I would find out the names of the people that I'm going to be meeting, what their roles are in the organization. I would find out about the organization itself and what they do, about their business domain if I don't know anything about it. And I'd also ask the salesperson to provide me any information that they have already obtained about the project or the work or the organization that could help me get a head start. So when I show up in the first place, I'm not empty handed. I know who they are. I know the organization they work for, and I know a little bit about what they're trying to do already. So I'm as prepared as I can be. That gives me confidence. I can relax a lot more than if I showed up without any idea of what's going on. There's a much lower chance I'm going to get blindsided by something I just didn't expect. For the preparation, I would focus less on what you're going to present to this group of people and more about what questions you want to ask them. What are the details you need to know about the business, about the technology, about the project? It's asking these questions which is going to convey that you know what you're talking about and it lets you know the information that you need to know to scope the work or to do a follow-up statement of work. In the past, I've had a pre-sales checklist, which was a series of questions which would cover all parts of the project and the technology to make sure I didn't miss anything. Now, I wouldn't literally sit down and ask all the questions, but sometimes I would send the client my questionnaire before the meeting to give them a heads up of the kinds of questions that I'm going to ask. And because I'm asking questions, I take notes. Later that day or the next day, I would send out a summary of my notes to the customer, and that serves two purposes. One, it's really professional, 
And that follow-up gives them a sense that you are interested, that you are professional, but also it gives me a chance to feed back to them what I heard during the meeting and make sure that we're on the same page about what we think is going on. Now, in the interest of transparency and in the spirit of what this podcast is all about, I'm going to tell a story about a pre-sale meeting which went really badly. So... I went with my boss to a new potential customer. Now, this customer was quite different, that it was a technology company. They developed software, whereas most of my customers were large corporates or government departments up to that point. Now, we were pitching a series of ideas to them, and I got overwhelmed, and I had a anxiety attack in the middle of the meeting. So in the middle of my conversation when I was trying to say something I was talking faster and faster and faster Uh, my boss told me later on that he saw this happening and then my brain just stopped and I just could not speak nothing would come out of my mouth it was one of the most incredibly embarrassing things that's happened to me at work (laughs) Um, but eventually someone got me a glass of water And the meeting continued, and I think in about five minutes, I was able to start using my mouth again and and to talk. Now, I think, in retrospect, a lot of it had to do with uh, having a young baby. I think we just, uh, my wife had just given birth to our second child around about that time. But mostly, as I talked about in the stress and anxiety sessions, I just cared way too much. It's just work. I took it way too seriously. And I panicked and just spoke too quickly. So my point is, this stuff happens, and it will happen from time to time. It's a learning experience. You'll only get stronger because of it, and don't let it beat you. My boss said to me afterwards in the car park, no one has ever been on their deathbed and thought, man, I just wish I'd worked a little bit more or a little bit harder or done a little bit better at work. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to hear at the time, but it's true. Yep, communication is really tricky stuff, especially presenting and doing meetings of a really high-pressure nature. But it's those moments of important communication which are going to propel you further in your career, and they're going to be the things which change your organization much more than any technical work that you can ever do. There's just one more thing I wanted to mention around meetings. From my experience, a meeting is much more productive when people prepare something in advance and then come together to share their ideas and collaborate around it, as opposed to a bunch of people showing up to a meeting and then trying to come up with ideas on the fly. When that happens, the ideas are not formulated very well. There's usually a couple of strong voices which take over and it's just ultimately not very productive. Thanks again for tuning into Performance Time. I hope you've enjoyed this two-part series on communication. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you think the role of communication is in performance engineering. Next week, we'll be hearing from Alan Gordon, who's going to talk about stress and anxiety and performance engineering. 
The following week, we'll be talking to Stane Scapers about all kinds of things from his career as a performance engineer. Thanks once more. My name is Stephen Townsend, and as always, this is Performance Time. <laughs>